Remember middle school? These are strange years, aren't they? Full of awkward transitions. (laughs) Picture the day you got your braces off. This is a great day, isn't it? Your teeth are slippery and smooth. Then you get your retainer, and with it, a new lisp and a strange plastic liner in your mouth. One thing the orthodontist tells your parents is how much it costs to replace this retainer. So when you are in the school cafeteria, you place your retainer very carefully on the edge of your tray. But you get so carried away with your friends that when the bell rings and you rush to dump your trash and get to class, thoughts of your retainer are far, far away. Until, hours later, you realize that your teeth are untethered and beginning to cross right in the middle of class. Your stomach drops. The precious retainer is on its way to the landfill, and your parents are going to be so mad. You might have to do chores for years to pay for a replacement. This is a terrible feeling. This is a sinking feeling, much like one my friend felt when she was cleaning the bathroom. She wore her cherished wedding rings 24-7, And as she wiped the sink, she noticed in horror that her left hand was proudly showcasing prongs, but her engagement diamond was missing, lost, perhaps somewhere near the bathtub. Loss is part of life. We lose things on a regular basis. This is not a fun process. There is a shocking realization, a mad scramble, perhaps a bout of nausea, when a prized item cannot be located. We might try to retrace our steps or contact the insurance company. Maybe we bargain with God or try to dream up a clever excuse. Regardless, a lost treasure provokes in us a unique range of emotions. In the passage we read this morning, Jesus is telling parables about lost things, a sheep and a coin, and also, apparently, a son. Author and New Testament scholar Amy Jo Levine writes in her book, Short Stories by Jesus, that we may think of the three parables, each with a main character and something that is lost. This follows the folkloric rule of three, much like the three little pigs, the three bears, or, as we will see next week, the three who encounter the beaten and bleeding man in the Good Samaritan parable. This rule of three is familiar in storytelling. Often, this third story of the sun is told out of context of the first two. It is billed as the story of the prodigal son but perhaps it is better defined as the story of the lost son. Perhaps Jesus' intention was to tell his listeners a parable about lost things, not prodigals. This is the genius of the parables, stories told to his Middle Eastern audience 
thousands of years ago. He told these stories to provoke, to invite discussion, to get his listeners to think more broadly, more widely about life and life with God. This summer at Mayflower, our series is on the parables, eight ways to change your perspective. We are potentially changing our perspective because parables were not intended to be warm, fuzzy reinforcements of what we already know and believe. Levine writes, Parables bring to the surface unasked questions, and they reveal the answers we have always known but refuse to acknowledge. Our reaction to them should be one of resistance rather than acceptance. She contends that we should not respond to a parable by saying, ooh, I really liked that. Parables should make us question assumptions and assume a bit of a challenge. Perhaps, in Jesus' infinite wisdom, humor, and compassion, the parables offer both, a comfort and a challenge. So this morning, as we look at this text, What might this mean for us as we think about lost things, found things, and a son who seems to take his father's money and run? If these three parables are to be told in sequence, why does this last parable about the lost son seem to differ so greatly from the other two? The sheep and coin are found and there is rejoicing. Luke writes that this is a parallel to sinners who repent. Yet, sheep and coins do not sin, and we can assume do not repent. In the lost son parable, Luke does not assert a sin repentance qualifier. This is a bit puzzling. Furthermore, the third parable does not get wrapped up with a nice bow of solution and rejoicing. The story is somewhat unresolved at the end. Yet, this story of the lost son certainly has a note of rejoicing embedded in it. The younger son returns. He is not technically found. And there is a great joy for the father. Most often, this parable is said to be about repentance and forgiveness. We are the prodigals who are welcomed home after our life of sin has proven to be fruitless and empty. Our loving God welcomes us, the prodigals, back into the fold of grace, always and forever, again and again and again. Nothing we can do can separate us from the love of a God who embodies love and acceptance. This is a powerful message, a true one and certainly a positive and inspiring word for all of us. What if we peel back the layers of allegory and take the story a bit more literally? What if this parable is simply about a family, a father and his sons? The audience Jesus was speaking to would not have automatically acquainted this story with the theology we add to it they would have heard a story about a family. A Jewish audience would have been primed the minute Jesus said, 
two sons. They would have known the ancient narratives about brothers. Cain and Abel, Ishmael and Isaac, Jacob and Esau. In each of these sibling pairs, it is the younger brother who is favored. Levine writes, All biblically literate listeners know to identify with the younger son. But those first century biblically literate listeners were in for a surprise when the younger son turns out not to be righteous. Hmm, what is Jesus doing here? We have a lost sheep, a lost coin, a found sheep, a found coin, and a whole lot of rejoicing. But a lost younger son throws off the balance. A father has two sons. One becomes lost, and the father waits and waits for his return. One son is apparently not lost. He stays close to the father and is the diligent one. Jesus' original audience would have understood inheritance and famine and the significance of a fatted calf way more than we can truly wrap our minds around. Yet... For us today, this image of a lost son is not so unusual. Families are broken in all kinds of ways. Children do not speak to their parents. Parents struggle to love children who are wayward. Siblings fight and often fight about things like inheritance and who has a right to what. There are many ways in which this story is very modern. Families are complicated. Could Jesus be saying something about this? Could this story be about repentance and forgiveness and a loving God? And also a story about a family. A tricky situation that a family has to navigate. You will notice the picture on the front of your bulletin is a sparkler. A small firework set on a stand. This is, of course, a nod to our 4th of July holiday. But it is also a nod to the feeling one gets when a lost item is found. When the middle schooler digs through multiple bags of lunch refuse to find the retainer, fireworks. When my friend saw a glimmer and sparkle of a loose diamond on the tile behind the toilet brush, Fireworks. When the cell phone, keys, purse, wallet, passport are finally located, fireworks. When a loved one who has been missing, lost, out of communication, defiant, finally comes home, fireworks. The emotions of loss are profound. But the emotions of foundness are no less profound. The scripture today mentions the word rejoice. There is rejoicing when what is lost is found. This is joy compounded, elation beyond measure. This is rejoying. What is fascinating is that the Greek word for rejoice is connected to the Greek word charis, which means grace. Rejoice and grace are connected. When that father extends grace to his prodigal son, he is able to rejoice. When I extend grace to myself, 
over a lost item than finding it is full of joy, not condemnation. Is this maybe what the older son is missing? The father had two sons. After the return of the younger son, the father realizes something important. Levine writes, The father is now in the role of the man searching for his lost sheep and the woman searching for her lost coin. He needs to return the lost to the home. He needs to make his family complete. But children are not like sheep or coins. They are people. The father did not know until this moment that the elder was the son who was truly lost to him. Once the recognition comes, he does what the shepherd and the woman do, realizing his loss, his lost son, the son he loves. He seeks to make his family whole. If we take this parable as a literal story of a family, much like many of our families, with sibling rivalry and messy issues with money, titles, and privileges, is there a message about grace and joy embedded here? My friend Dr. Becky posed a question to me many years ago as I was beginning my journey as an HIV-AIDS activist. I was trying to settle some of the uncertainties about my life of faith and my life as an advocate for those living on the margins. She asked, is it more important to be right or be in relationship? Is it more important to be right or to be in relationship? I have thought about this question and returned to it more times than I can count. Being right is overrated. Being self-righteous, even more so. Relationships transform us. Our relationship with God and our relationships with others. My judgments, my arrogance, my self-centeredness is addressed when I am in true relationship with others. When I stand in my rightness, I stand all alone. Now hear me. I am not speaking of the deep convictions of faith or the rule of life I live by or how I choose to make personal and moral decisions. But when I lead with how right I am, I do not invite the kind of room for transformation that relationships create. So we see a father who has every right to be angry with his son. He has every right to say, I told you so. But instead... He has felt his loss. He is living with a grace that opens him up to the capacity to rejoice. And we see an older brother who also has a right to point out how ridiculous this whole scene is. He is correct in stating that he has followed the rules. He has not squandered his inheritance. And he has not asked for or received a feast. What would we do, asks Levine, were we the older son? When it comes to families, there are factors other than repentance and forgiveness that hold us together. Here the first two parables provide a helpful guide. Recognize that the one you have lost may be right in your own household. Do whatever it takes to find the lost 
and then celebrate with the others, both so that you can share in the joy and so that the others will help prevent the recovered from ever being lost again. Don't wait until you receive an apology. You might never get one. Don't wait until you can muster the ability to forgive. You might never find it. Instead, she writes, go have lunch. Go celebrate and invite others to join you. Take advantage of resurrection. It is unlikely to happen twice. I love the visual of the father running with arms wide open toward his son. The lost son is found, and it is time for fireworks. In this manner, I think it is totally appropriate to see the father in the story as a God figure. Jesus told this story to those who would potentially see him make the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus, with arms wide open, extends such an astonishing grace on all of us. This morning, we will celebrate communion and acknowledge this kind of grace. With arms stretched on a cross and wide open to all of us, all of the time, regardless of what we have done or not done. Christ is the enveloping one, the parent who is running toward us with a ready embrace and more love than we can fathom. So there are a few questions for us to ponder. Am I standing with my arms open to those around me? Am I so full of grace that my natural response is rejoicing? Is there someone in my life or in my family that I need to revisit? Do I need to look at this parable, parable through the lens of real life and maybe, as Amy Jolivine suggests, go to lunch? Can I believe that God cares so deeply for every aspect of human life that Jesus' parables actually are about people trying to live with complicated relationships and lost items like retainers, diamonds, wallets, and keys? And can this give us a glimpse into a God so full of love that we can hardly imagine it? Perhaps today we have a new perspective on lost things, lost people, and a lost idea about God. Perhaps today is a day for fireworks. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.